So we're just, we're just marching through the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and I don't pick, um, uh, just in case, you know, sometimes people, something will speak to them out of a passage, and maybe I talk to them about that same thing, you know, two weeks before or whatever. Um, but I don't pick. Uh, I'm just working through the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not picking. I didn't go, okay, I had a couple of conversations last month. I need to talk about money today. That's not how it works. That's one of the things. It's actually a protection for me. That's why I love actually working my way through Scripture. I've been doing that more and more. I'm going to continue doing it, just working through big chunks of Scripture because it's not up to me to just kind of pick. I just work, and whatever's there is there. So today I get to talk about money, and I didn't advertise that in advance because I wanted you to still come, okay? <laughs> but I'm just going to read it to you, Matthew 6, 19 to 24, and some of you are, this is like the worst topic, right? I mean, many of us just feel a low-level, subconscious, hum of guilt about money all the time in our lives. And part of it is because we, you know, we read uh, and we hear about Christians around the world who are suffering and are poor, poor, and we just feel like we're materialistic and unspiritual automatically because we have wealth here in North America. And so I know there's a lot of, there's a low-level, you know, subconscious hum of guilt that many of us live with because of the wealth we live with. And then when we read Jesus' words. And so we're going to look at it today, but I do want to tell you right off the top, not all of you here are going to be convicted this morning. Some of you, Jesus actually wants to encourage you, okay? And whether you get encouragement or conviction today, it's all because Jesus loves you. And so Matthew 6, 19 to 24, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay? So, urgent words. I mean, we look at them there. And Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. Those are important words. Those are urgent words. Those are serious words. And we need to take them seriously. We need to think about that. Because if you're serving money, you can't be serving God. Whatever it looks like on the outside. Okay? Now, again, having said that, as I prayed and got ready for the message this week, it's a difficult difficult message for me to walk. I I I thought much this week and prayed much. In Ezekiel, there's a warning in Ezekiel where God warns the priests of Israel, and he warns them, and he's mad at them because of this. He says, you make the righteous feel guilty when they shouldn't feel guilty, and you make the unrighteous feel encouraged when they shouldn't feel encouraged. And so when I preach about money, what I said just before I read the passage is really true. I've been praying all week. Some of us automatically feel guilty when it comes to to money, and some of you actually shouldn't feel guilty. And I'm trying to walk a fine line here today because there's these extremes teaching on money in North America. On the one extreme is the obvious one. You've got these, all these prosperity teachers and quasi-prosperity you know, teachers who wouldn't call themselves that, but essentially live that and preach in such a way that it actually encourages people. It encourages Christians who have the love of money not to feel convicted about that and to continue living with the love of money. So you have that extreme. On the other extreme, though, you have uh, a group of, of, of people and authors and pastors 
most of whom genuinely, really passionately love Jesus, some of them have a calling on their life to give away everything and live this what's called a radical life. And so you've kind of got this group of, of guys. So you've got the prosperity teachers, and that's more obvious. We've talked about that lots here. But on the other side, you've got this other group of teachers, and they write books, and they're very popular because they actually do love Jesus, and they walk with Jesus. And many of them actually do have a specific calling on their life that to give up everything. And so they, they live the, the ra- this radical life, and they really do love Jesus. And the only problem is, and I don't think in many cases that they even intend to do this necessarily, but some of these guys with their books and their preaching they take a specific calling God has put on their life, and they, it almost becomes, for everybody else who's looking at this, like, that's the only way to be radical for Jesus. The only way to be radical for Jesus, the only way for us to live up to Jesus' words is for us to give away everything. So on the one side, we have this teaching that encourages people, the love, you know, they can live with the love of money and they're not even bothered by it. On the other side, you have this kind of teaching and example that makes everybody think that the only way to be radical for Jesus is to give away everything you own. And actually, the truth is somewhere not in either of those camps. It's, it's somewhere not in either of those camps. See, there's no one-size-fits-all rule. Don't we wish Jesus would have just given us a rule here? Like, don't we wish, especially when it comes to money, don't we wish he would have just given us a rule like, if you make more than $50,000 a year, you have to give it all away or you have the love of money. Some of you are going, well, I wish it was a little higher than 50. Whatever. <laughs> Some of you are saying, I can live with less. But don't we wish he would have just given us a rule? Wouldn't that have made it easier? Like, if you have a house that's bigger than 1,500 square feet, you are officially in the love of money. If you're 1,500 square feet, you're, you're good. And every 100 feet, square feet less than that, you're more and more spiritual. See, we just love rules. Don't we? Isn't that true? And your spirituality, here, Jesus, just plug in some numbers and tell me, is it give away everything or is all wealth and blessing or is all material wealth a blessing from you? We would love to just have a one-size-fits-all solution. It would make it easier for us and we wouldn't have this questioning, searching. But the only thing is, Jesus actually cares about your heart. And a bunch of rules won't grab your heart. See, because the thing is, and this is what Jesus knows, you can make $25,000 a year and absolutely love money and be addicted to money and not be pursuing Jesus. And you can have $2 million and love Jesus wholeheartedly and not care about money at all. So the rules don't do it, and Jesus knows that. So he gives us this passage, and he goes for the heart, and he knows... That at the end of this message, I can't just give you, here's three practical steps, and bing, 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 fit yourself in here, and you know if you have the love of money. This is a message that is hyper important, because if you serve money, you can't serve God. But how will you know if you're serving money or you're serving God? Each one of us is going to have to search our hearts by the light of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to preach a message, and I won't be able to figure it all out for you. But it's a serious warning and, but, and you won't be able to tell them that just by externals. You could have, you know, two very wealthy people sitting side by side in the service here this morning. And, and one guy looks at the other guy and he thinks, well, that guy owns a bunch and he loves Jesus. Therefore, I'm okay owning a bunch. But you could have a wealthy guy who loves Jesus and you can have a wealthy guy who doesn't love Jesus. And they can own the same amount of stuff you can't tell from the outside. And you can have a, a person, you're sitting here today and you drove your you know, your 10-year-old minivan up today and you're sitting beside a guy with a caddy and you think, whoo, I love this message. This guy's going to get some conviction and you could be the one who loves money and he's totally okay. So this is not about 
what's the guy next to me making? And the guy who makes more than me is the guy who's going to get convicted by this message. This is a message for all of us, and there's no one-size-fits-all. And you can't figure out where someone's heart is by an external. And that's why Jesus didn't give us a hard and fast rule. He just said, you better make sure you're not serving money. You better make sure you're not serving money. All right? So, now I want to just establish this a little bit theologically. This cold weather has just made my throat a little dry. So I'm going to take one more swig here. And hopefully that'll do me. Someone laughed at the word swig there. Is that a bad word? Should maybe not use that? <laughs> yeah, I guess it has connotations. It's just water. <laughs> just in case you're wondering. <laughs> if I, it's getting into the spirit. Um, so I want to just establish this theologically because a lot of us have this kind of built-up preconceived notion that Jesus was a radical, and he was a radical. But we have a wrong idea about what that means. And we've attached radical to owning nothing. That is one form of radical, and it is a legitimate form that Jesus calls some people to. But it is possible to be radical for Jesus and not have given everything away. And I want to just establish that for you theologically. I'll just show it to you in Scripture. Some of you are convinced. I actually talked about this a couple of years ago in a point in a message in uh, True Spirituality. But it doesn't hurt to go through this again and again because there's these preconceived notions out there. And certain people, the way they teach and write, they really hit that radical thing hard. They have a definition of radical. It's good to be radical for Jesus, but they have a definition of radical. It's too narrow. And so I want to show you a few examples. The Bible does not say that being rich is equal with not being radical for God or is equal with not loving or being close to God. For example, we start with Abraham, obvious one. Uh, James 2, verse 23 says this, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Now, th that's amazing because that's written in the Bible. So it's written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's true. God said in the scriptures, Abraham's my friend. So you would think, according to the way some people have defined being a friend of God and being radical for Jesus, that the only way Adam or Abraham could be a friend of God is obviously Abraham must have given everything away and lived in poverty, and yet we find the exact opposite to be true. Genesis 13 verse 2 says this, Now Abraham was not just rich. Abraham was very rich. Abraham was very rich in livestock, but not just in animals, but in silver and gold, in money. He had Lots and lots of money. And yet, God said, Abraham is my friend. Can you imagine having God write that on your tombstone? That you were a friend of God. It doesn't get better than that. God says, he's my friend. And in order to be his friend, Abraham was able to be his friend in the midst of wealth. He didn't have to get rid of all his wealth. In fact, the Bible says that God himself made Abraham wealthy. And of course, the prosperity teachers love this because they say their one-size-fits-all solution is God always wants to make you wealthy. And, I'm, and what we're saying is there is no one-size-fits-all. God says to some, to calls them to give up everything. He calls others in his sovereignty to live in poverty. He calls some to be wealthy. All of us have to walk the walk that he is calling us to. But Genesis 24 says this, so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him that's God, has given him, that's Abraham, flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. So obviously, being rich does not mean automatically that you can't be close to God or that you are automatically, the fact that we here in the West are wealthier than other people around the world, 
Now, we'll talk in a little bit about that. That wealth does have, can have some impact on us if we are not careful. But it doesn't automatically make you less spiritual than a Christian around the world who lives in poverty. And there's many other examples we could look at. How about Job? I just want to show you a couple because we have this, this, this idea. And it's, and it's promoted by different people. It's not even just the radicals. There's this whole other wing of the church, this liberal kind of uh, uh, hippie, for lack of a better word, uh, wing of the church where, you know, that, where they think Jesus would, if he lived here today, he'd drive a solar-powered car and eat local produced vegetables and blah, 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 blah. And, and if you're rich, you're bad. If you're capitalist, you're bad. You're, it's kind of a soft communism Christianity that's, that's leaking in now. But nonetheless, it's out there. If you're rich, you're bad. Look what Job says, Job 1.1. There was a man in the land of uh, Uz, what a great name, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So he was, he was, imagine having, this is again written by the Holy, this is the Holy Spirit inspired this. He was blameless and upright, and he feared God. Like that is amazing. Can you imagine having that written on your tombstone that you, by God, that you were blameless and upright and that you feared God? And again, so we would think according to some of what some Christians interpret what it means to be radical for God, you would think this man must have given away everything and lived in poverty. But again, we find the opposite just two verses later. It says this about this man who is blameless and upright and feared God. He possessed 7,000 sheep. That's a lot more than I have. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 uh, female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. So the greatest. He was the wealthiest. He was the most powerful, the most influential, all sorts of stuff in his country, in his area. Okay, and yet, and, and we could go on and on. How about Daniel? We don't have to talk about Daniel. Daniel was at the highest place of government under the Babylonian superpower. He lived in the midst, he was living in the lap of extreme luxury. Daniel didn't live in some little cottage somewhere. He lived in palaces. He lived with everything he could ever want materially. And yet, in the midst of that, he lived a fasted lifestyle. He prayed daily. He walked with God. He was, and him too. The Bible does not say one negative thing about Daniel. And of course, in the New Testament too, Jesus actually had a number of very wealthy followers as well. It's sometimes preached as though Jesus only was with the poor. Jesus went to people, rich and poor. He did go to the poor. Not even a question. We're not taking that out of the equation. We're taking out the one-size-fits-all thing. But Jesus had rich followers Matthew 27, 57, I could show you a few, but let me just show you one. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He had followers, and we could talk of uh, Susanna, the wife of Cusa, and some of these very wealthy women who were married to uh, some of Herod's uh, stewards and wealthy business people, who actually financed a lot of Jesus' ministry, as we find in Luke. And so there, Jesus had wealthy followers. And of course, there were many poor people who followed Jesus as well. I mean, John the Baptist. And this, is, this just shows that it's not a one-size-fits-all. You've got Joseph of Arimathea, who is very rich. You've got John the Baptist, who Jesus said is the greatest man who ever lived. And he ate locusts and honey and, and wore some kind of a, uh, you know, skin thing that I'm sure didn't look very good. Okay? And Elijah, you know, was fed by ravens and all this sort of stuff. Poor and rich. Jesus is not looking at Okay, I can only have followers in this tax bracket. He says, I can have followers from anywhere. What I want is their whole heart. That's what I want. That's what he wants, and we can't look at the external. So 
My point in all this is just that wealth is a morally neutral thing. You can be rich and close to God, or you can be rich and far from God. You can be poor and close to God, or you can be poor and far from God. Philippians 4, 11 to 13 says this. Paul said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then what he says next is very interesting. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Did you know that's a skill to do both? I know how to be brought low, and some people say, well, I know how to, you know, I know how to be content when I have nothing. Yeah, but do you know how to walk with God when you have lots? And he says, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? So Paul said, does not say, I've learned the secret of getting close to God by becoming poor. He said, I've learned the secret of having a content walk with God in much and in nothing. I've learned the secret of both. And so both can be done, okay? So wealth is morally neutral. So now I've set it up because my goal in this message is not just to put a false heap of guilt on everybody that anybody who drove a nice car here today or who has a big house automatically has to feel guilty because Jesus was a radical and you should be poor, okay? If you're going to feel guilty today, you need to feel guilty about the right things. And some of us just need to feel encouraged. And so we go on from here. So wealth is a morally neutral thing. But now, having said that and set that up and put all the caveats in, I would be neglecting my duty as a pastor if I did not warn you about the dangers of loving money. See, the problem is not with having money. The problem is not with having riches. Abraham was very rich, yet he walked with God. The question is, can you do that? Daniel lived in the lap of luxury, yet he fasted and prayed and listened to God and served him with his whole heart. Can you do that? The problem is not with having riches, okay? The problem is with loving riches. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6. We're just jumping on a little bit here, and then we'll get back into the Sermon on the Mount. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Now that's an incredible statement right there. That should be true of all of us, wealthy, poor, wherever you are on that scale in between. Can you be content with food and clothing, with the basic necessities? And now look what Paul says next. But those who desire to be rich, okay? Those who desire to be rich. So I've just, remember, I've gone through all the caveats here. Being rich, having riches, wherever you are on the scale of wealth. It's not wrong, but look what Paul says here. But do you desire? Is your heart set on being wealthy? But those who desire to be rich, this is a problem, fall into temptation, into, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Think, I mean, those are, those are sobering words right there. I mean, and Paul's not going to be wrong about this. He wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Those who desire to be rich will plunge themselves into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money, it's not money itself, it's the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Okay, so again, we saw Abraham walked with God in the midst of riches. So did Daniel, so did Job, Joseph of Arimathea. But the question is, can you? 
And let's just talk about one. So Paul talks about snares. He talks about potential destruction and ruin. Let's just talk about one snare, one potential snare, and one potential temptation that can come with wealth. And let's just talk about distraction. The more wealth you have, the more stuff you have, the more potential you have to be distracted from the things that really matter. Is that not true? I'm not saying you automatically will be distracted. Abraham wasn't. I know people in this congregation who love Jesus deeply and have lots of money. Okay? I'm not saying you will be distracted, but the more wealth you have, the more stuff you have, the more potential you have, the more tug you have, the more subtly and easily you can be pulled into that, and the more you have to be careful of. Okay? So let, let me just give you an example. Let's talk about having a boat. Okay? Before I say anything, it is not bad to have a boat. I'm just using this as an example. Some of you have a boat. Some of you are getting very e fidgety. Let me just say this. If Abraham and David lived today, I'm sure they would have had boats. Okay? <laughs> David would have had a sweet water skiing boat. He would have done crazy things on that, ju judging by what he did with his life. So, okay? So it's not bad to have a boat. But let's just talk about having a boat. The moment you have a boat, okay, the person who has a boat has more potential. You have two people who are just, you know, the same. One person gets a boat, the other person doesn't have a boat. You now, I'm not saying the person with the boat is automatically less spiritual. I've said that over and over again in this message. The more wealth you have does not make you automatically less spiritual. But what I'm talking about, Paul says, is that there are snares to wealth that you have to watch out for. The moment I own a boat, I now have, I now have increased potential to be distracted in my life. So, for example, the moment I own a boat, you compare the guy who has a boat to the guy who doesn't have a boat. The moment I buy a boat, I have automatically, right away, I have a bunch of things I have to think of, right? And it might not be tons and tons of stuff, but it's going to add up if, with the more stuff I get, right? So that's the whole point. But the moment I have a boat, I have to have a place to store it, obviously, right? Is my garage big enough? Do I have to build bigger? Do I have to build, build a bigger shed? Whatever. I have to find a trailer that I can pull it. I have to have a vehicle I can pull it. Will my vehicle now pull it? Do I have to change my vehicle in for another one? Do I have to get a second vehicle, Okay. There's all these things. I've got to insure this thing. I've got to think about, what's that? Is that a scratch? Did that guy just kick my boat on the way through the parking lot? That kid did not just throw that into my boat on the dock. Come on, right? There's all kinds. Okay, Sunday mornings. Okay, Sunday mornings in, supper, in summer. Okay? The guy who doesn't have a boat gets up and goes to church without thinking about it because he has no other options. <laughs> right? Isn't that true? He's not tugged. He's happy to go to church. I'm going to church, okay? The guy who has a boat, it's a nice summer day, and we only get so many. It's Manitoba after all. You get up. Ooh, he's got options. He's got things to think about, right? Do I go to church today, or this could be my only Sunday of the whole summer to get out on the lake? So now he's got this tug. He's got to think about it. He's got options. He's got to think through. He goes to the lake with his family. Is it bad to go to the lake with your family and spend a, a Sunday on the, on the boat? No. Okay? Not at all. Okay? Maybe it turns into a month straight. I'm still not saying, is that bad? I'd, I'll leave that to you to pray about. Okay? <laughs> what I'm saying is, the more stuff you have, the more options, the more pulls you have. And ultimately now you say, well, I'm building memories with my family. Well, that's great. But what are you showing them? See, here's the thing about, here's the thing. This is the thing about wealth. It's not the bad stuff. It's the perfectly good stuff that pulls you. 
And, and I'm not talking about the pull of wealth to do bad things. I mean, there, is, there can be that as well. I'm talking about the pull of wealth to do good things when those good things take you away from the best thing. See, the Bible says one thing is necessary. That's what Jesus said. Mary and Martha, you know the story, right? Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha is busy with all kinds of good things, not bad things. She's busy with good things. And Martha comes to Jesus and complains and says, why is Mary not helping me? And Jesus says to Martha, 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 you are worried about many things, but only one thing is necessary and it will not be taken from her. See, when you stand before God on Judgment Day, one thing matters. What did you do with Jesus? Did you love him wholeheartedly? Did you serve him? Did you know him? Did you seek him with everything in your life? Okay? So, is it bad? Can you seek Jesus with a boat? You certainly can. But there's also a potential there for that boat to make you do more of a good thing instead of the thing you are here on earth to do. And I just mentioned one thing. Now, again, with wealth, so again, not against owning a boat. If anybody, if I hear that quote coming back to me out of this message, because I sometimes get wacky quotes coming back to me, I'm going to have words with you, okay? <laughs> I'm talking about the potential temptation. But now you add up everything else. The more wealth you have, the more potential to be distracted. Cottage, boat, trips, all these wonderful things, each one in and of themselves, very good, cool opportunities. But you add more and more and more and you say yes to each and everything and more sports to be involved in and more of this to do and more of that to do and more, more, more. Your life is so busy. You don't feel bored. You don't have a chance to question, am I doing the best things or is my life full of good things? And on judgment day, that is destruction. To have filled your life with good things as opposed to the one thing that really matters is destruction. Even work. See, and again, this is not the one-size-fits-all solution. I've been talking about it. It's not about giving it all. Abraham rich, and, 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 and he walked with God. It's about, so how are you going to do this? It's that if you have wealth, you have more potential to be pulled away. You have things to watch out for. But the person who's very successful, there's another tug that happens, right? And that is the tug to make more and more money without end. Isn't that true? The guy who's just got a whatever job, he makes $45,000 a year, $40,000 a year, whatever, he comes home in the evening and he has no ability to make another $100,000 by just working a bit longer. So that $100,000 doesn't weigh on him at all. He has no potential to make it. He goes home, he enjoys his whatever minivan. Maybe he doesn't, maybe he has a contentment issue. I'll preach another message for him. But his mind isn't pulled. If I stayed a bit longer, I could make another 50 grand, 100 grand, 150. If I could take on this extra project more, more. The guy who has the potential to make more. Is it bad to work overtime? Not at all. There's different jobs. There's different situations. What's the right amount of overtime? What's the right amount of time with your family? There is no one-size-fits-all solution. But the guy who has the potential to make more, it's not that it's bad to work hard. It's not that it's bad to work long hours. It's not that it's bad to be productive. But he has this constant pull that never leaves him. I could take on another project. Oh, 
I, you know, if I took on that extra project, we could actually go into a 2,000-square-foot home instead of an 1,800-square-foot home. I just have to do a bit more work, and he's gone, 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 and, and you're home till, is it bad to work till 7 at night or 8 at night? I mean, it's not bad, necessarily, but he has this constant pull. I can make more. How do you say no to money that's just sitting there? So we just grow and grow and grow. We think, if I, I just say, if, I, if the potential is there, I should just do it. We automatically just think we should do it. And then the next thing you know, your kids are 18 and they're out of the house and you, re- and you realize with deep pangs of regret that you did not spend as much time with them as you should have or could have. And you realize you didn't model for them. Serving in the church, you say, are you saying it's bad? I'm not saying it's bad. But the pull is there and if we don't watch where that pull is, Jesus says, you can't serve money and God. So where is that line? Where's the point where you crossed it? It's not the same for all of us. We each have to seek God, but my point in preaching this is, why do we just blindly go down that trail? We just blindly go. Paul says there's actually snares that go with wealth. Actually, maybe you don't need to bring home $350,000 this year. Maybe you could come home at six. And that means you actually have to say no to some things in the business. Or maybe you actually have to take some of the money you're making and hire some extra good people so you can come home and be home at supper. They, you know, they did, a, they did some studies in the last 15 years. Uh, they've done a whole bunch. And anybody who wants these, by the way, I'll send them to you during the week. Glad to. They did a bunch of research the last 15 years. They find that, and I've actually talked about this more in other messages in the past, but uh, families that eat dinners together five times a week makes a massive difference to the kids. Massive. These aren't even just Christian studies. Secular and Christian. Five dinners a week. Massive difference with the kids. Massive differences in lower levels of obesity, depression, suicide, better grades, better emotional connectedness to mom and dad, better spiritual health, physical health, mental health, all kinds. You, you name it, eating five dinners together a week. And of course, the, I mean, the magic thing is not dinner. It could be lunch, breakfast. And it, it, what is it, five? And oh, I only get four and I feel real convicted or three. I, I'm not even promoting it. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Okay, I'm going to say that a thousand times in this message. But five, the point is, there was something about the way God made it when a family sits down and eats together and talks together, not, not in front of the TV either. The magic isn't, hey, we ate together five times this week and you didn't say a word to each other. Then just go back to work. But the families that ate together five times a week, huge, huge difference with the kids. Massive. So instead of unthinkingly see wealth, you got this tug, and you always say yes to the tug, because it's there, well, I could just make that extra more. I can make more. And the point is that there's a, there's a snare here that we have to watch out for. We have to pray about it, Lord. What are you saying? Maybe I don't have to grow my business as big as it will possibly go. And whatever works, again, there's certain jobs I know you can't be home for supper. This is not, again, this is not about guilt. You've got to pray about your own thing. You're on the truck or you're some other business. You can't be home uh, in all those dinners. You've got to pray about it. The, the principle is God made it. The family's got to be together. And there's something about eating together and talking together that does something. Then you figure it out with God what it is. Or maybe God says to you, maybe you need to work less. That's my point, is we don't just blindly pick all the money we can get because good can take the place of best. Good can take the place of best. And that's why this next verse, 
Did you know the Bible sometimes talks about wealth as being a burden rather than a blessing? We always assume wealth is a blessing. We always assume, hey, I got an opportunity to make more. I got an opportunity to take a job that's more. I got an opportunity to take this product more. And if, thank you, you're blessing me. Did you know that the Bible sometimes talks about wealth as being a burden rather than a blessing? I want to read these words, and you've seen them many times before, but in the context of this message of the Holy Spirit, I think it's going to hit many of you in a new way. Matthew 19, 23 to 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Truly, I want, just let that sit there for a second. I've already told you it's not bad to have wealth. Abraham, Daniel, Job, many others. And I know people here in this church, they have wealth and they love Jesus. But I want you to take seriously the words of Jesus right here in this verse. And by the way, don't just think of the guy next to you who has a nicer car than you. There are many people in this world who would think any of us here is wealthy. And Jesus says this, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not joking there. He's actually not joking. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus does not say, blessed are you who are wealthy. He says how difficult it is for you who are wealthy. This is why, you know, we've talked talked to some of the underground church leaders in different places around the world, and they have sometimes told us, they said, don't don't pray that we're going to have wealth like you guys over there because that brings a bunch of challenges that affects you in your churches. They don't even envy us of our wealth. And you know, there's some of you here today, you have lots of money. I don't envy you a bit, especially those of you with kids, because it actually brings with it a whole bunch of challenges. There are some things that are easier for you because you have money, but there are some eternal things that are a lot harder. How do you raise a kid that's humble, that sees their need for Jesus, that just desperately needs Jesus when they have everything they want? I'm not saying it can't be done. I've seen it done. People in this church have done it. But it's a lot harder. The more you have, the more that pull is there, the more you have to be careful of and vigilant of how difficult it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So we come back to the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, Jesus says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So that's a command. Whether you are rich or poor here today, it doesn't matter. This is for all of us. Jesus says we are not to store up treasures here on earth. We are to store up treasures in heaven. And you say, well, what does that mean? You've just said it's okay to own stuff. But here Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth. How can I own stuff here on earth but not have treasures here on earth? And that's easy. It's because Jesus is talking about the heart. If we go to the very next verse, he says this. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you can own stuff without your stuff owning you. But many people, and, and we rationalize it because we love our stuff so much, and we love the potential to get more stuff, and we love the place where, where we're living, but your stuff can own you so easily if you're not vigilant. And so I know people who have lots and lots of stuff. I know people in this church who have lots and lots of stuff, and their hands are totally open. They could care less. They share and share and share, and when you talk to them, when you talk to them, that's when you see the heart. I know people in this church who have lots of stuff, and when you talk to them, it doesn't matter what you talk about, the conversation always comes back to Jesus. Do you ever talk to people like that? They're actually rare, even in the church. Is that not crazy? Many people live in the church. You talk about all kinds of stuff. You never get to Jesus. But there's some people, they own lots of stuff, and every time you talk to them, it still gets back to Jesus. Every time you talk to them, it's all about what Jesus is doing this and how he's changed them in this and what's he doing in your life and what's he speaking to you about these days. And when you talk to them about Jesus, they, you know, some, of, some of them, they get a little bit of the red eye. They're just, the, the emotions are right at the surface because they're walking with Jesus so closely. Those people might have lots of stuff here on the earth, and from the outside you think, ha, they're storing up treasures here on earth, and they don't have treasures here on earth because their heart isn't in it. They're storing up treasures in heaven. That's where their heart is. You can tell because that's what they talk about. That's what they think about. What do you talk about? What do you think about? Because it's also possible to have very little. You can be making just about only poverty wages and all you can talk about is a new TV. And all you worry about is whether you'll be able to pay, pay the bills and all of your thoughts are constantly in the things of this world. It's possible to have lots and have your treasure in heaven and it's possible to have very little and have your treasure in that. Where your heart where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So, where is your heart and how would we know? Thankfully, Jesus talks a lot about this. I'm going to take you to another parable now. We'll jump out of the Sermon on the Mount again. He tells another parable. Where is your heart? Does your stuff own you or do you just own your stuff? And, it's, and you just gladly share it and use it for ministry and you just love Jesus. Where are you at? Well, Jesus tells this parable in Luke 12. And Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard. Notice, we, do, we don't have enough messages telling us to be on our guard about money. It's not about just blanket laying guilt, like I've said the whole time. It's not just about guilt. Hey, you have a little bit of wealth, you've got to feel guilty. But the fact that you have wealth means something, that you should be on your guard. This is something we should pray about and talk to God about regularly, because remember, if you serve money, you're not serving God. And so he says, this is what he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And that's, the, that's one of the scary things about wealth is the more success you have and the more stuff you have, it can mask the fact that you're actually empty in the things that really matter. Verse 16, so then he tells them a parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. Now stop right there. Is it bad to build more barns? Do you think King David probably had a lot of barns? He had a lot of barns. He had a lot of houses. Do you think Job had a lot of barns? You bet he had a lot of barns. Okay? You think Joseph, all these are... Is it bad? Okay, it's not bad to build more barns. It's not bad to expand your business necessarily. Jesus might be in that, and he has been in it for many rich people. 
What's bad about what this rich person is doing is not the, the act itself of expanding. It's that he set his heart on his treasure. He has set his heart on a business being bigger instead of on the things of God. So look what God says to him. And I will say to my soul, this is what the rich man says to himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and I love this line, and is not rich towards God. It's not bad to be rich in the things of this world. So long as you're rich towards God. That's the key. Rich towards God. And there's a couple of reasons God calls this rich man a fool. Number one, you can't take it with you. You can't take your riches with you. And that part is obvious. Moth and rust destroy. But you know what's one way that people get trapped in our culture and trying to take their riches with them? They set their heart on making a better life for their kids financially. Isn't that true? They set their goal. Why are you working so hard to make all this money? Because I want to give my kids a head start in life. You want to give your kids a head start in life? What you mean is you want to give them a head start financially. That's not the same thing. Giving your kids a head start financially is not the same as giving them a head start in life. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 19? How difficult it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever stopped to think that by working so hard and setting your heart on passing on this financial legacy to your children, that you might actually be making their entrance into the kingdom of heaven, their success in the kingdom of God, more difficult for them? You say, Chris said we're not allowed to pass on stuff to our kids after we die. No. You're a parent. You want to pass something on. Of course. Pass it on to your kids instead of the government. All the government will still take their cut. But have you even prayed about it? Is that what your heart is on? See, the whole point is, where's your heart? You think, I'm, I'm going to work so hard, and really it's a way of you. You're trying to bring your wealth with you. My wealth is going to outlast me. It's going to outlast me into my kids. Most wealth that gets passed on to kids is dissipated within a generation or two anyway. But even if it does pass on, you are passing on to them. You think, I'm giving them a head start in life. They're going to have a better life. Nothing you can pass on, no amount of wealth you can pass on can make their life better in the things that real count because you can't buy anything eternal with money. So your heart is set on, I'm going to pass on my wealth to my kids. I'm going to make my kids have a better life than me. What your kids need is a spiritual legacy, not a financial legacy. Hundreds of millions of Christians die without passing any kind of physical wealth onto their kids, and guess what? They do okay. They do okay. You say, well, how do they make it? <laughs> they pray. They work hard. Prayer is good. Working hard is good. You can't pass on anything eternal to your kids with wealth. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying you should not pass anything on to your kids. What I'm saying is, if that's where your heart is, even that is foolish. 
You can't keep it. Everything you earn materially, you cannot keep. And even passing it on to your kids, you cannot keep it. In fact, you may hinder them spiritually because Jesus said how difficult it is because for a rich person in the kingdom of heaven because you might be passing on a big lump of distractions that will keep them from ever learning how to pray and fast and call out to God with everything that's in them. So have you even prayed about that? You're just unthinkingly going down this path. I'm going to pass on all kinds of stuff to my kids. I'm going to give them so many opportunities. Have you ever actually prayed about that? Is that what Jesus wants you to do? Because it's foolish to store up treasure here on earth because material wealth can mask spiritual poverty. So what does it mean to be rich towards God? Let me just give you a couple of practical things. And this will be on a weekly challenge, which I won't have time to to give you today, but it'll be on Facebook. We'll send out an email. But these are some questions. You don't work through all these in one day either. This is, you, you spread it out. But we have to be rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? It means to be rich in our relationship and our experience of God. So are you rich towards God? That's what matters. You might be rich in stuff. It's not necessarily bad as long as you're rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? Rich in your relationship and experience of, of Him. Well, we can ask ourselves some questions. Do you talk to Him regularly? If I don't talk to my spouse regularly, I'm not rich in my relationship with my spouse. Yeah, but I've been a Christian for 30 years. If you don't talk to God regularly, you're not rich in your relationship with him. Which brings up the next point. Do you hear from him regularly? Because if I don't listen to my wife regularly, I'm not rich in my relationship with my wife. So can you open up your journal or your phone or whatever you keep it in? But can you open up your journal and if someone came to you today and said, Show me what God's been speaking to you about this past year, this past month, this past week. Do you have stuff? Or is it kind of like, blah, 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 well, I, I believe in the theology of God speaks, but now that you mention it, I guess I, I haven't really heard it. Is your, are you rich towards God? If all you have is a theory of listening to God, and you have no experience of Him speaking into your life, I'm not talking about big things. Everything has to be a big Oh, a big experience. I had a big experience with God recently. Hallelujah. Wow. No. It's just, it's little things. He guides you in this. And I'm praying about last night before I took my kids to bed. I I was feeling very tired. And when I feel tired, I feel mad. And and I had wanted to do some some devotions with the kids. I knew if I do devotions with them in this state, it's going to break everything in Stephen's messages about belonging. So I just sent him to bed, and I said, I'm going to be down in a minute. I went into my room, and I'm just kind of praying, Lord, I know. And then he gave me an idea, and it wasn't this big experience. It was just, oh, oh, thank you, Lord, for my kids. Thank you for this verse. Went down and did the verse with him. It was awesome. Was it a huge experience? No. Just, but that, are you rich in your relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with him? If he does, if you do, you have things he's speaking to you about and things he's showing you. Big, small, little are you rich in answered prayer? I've talked lots about this, that this year. Okay, I'm not just talking about big things. I'm praying about this big thing. You should have a list of big things you're praying about. If you don't, you need to find yourself some problems. <laughs> but that aside, even little things. If you talk to God about everything, this is the thing. If you talk to God about everything, Lord, I'm a little nervous about this at work. Lord, what am I going to do with this situation God, I really desire this. I know it might not be spiritual and you might say no, but I just really, if you talk to God about everything and bring him into everything in your life, your life will be full of fresh, not from two years ago, fresh. I can open up my journal and I can show you answers to prayer from this week. 
I can show you answers to prayer from this month. They're not all huge. They're not all like you go, wow. They're all like, oh, hey, that's kind of neat. And, but they're regular in my life. Why? Because walking with Jesus. Are you rich towards God? The Bible is full of promises that he wants to answer prayers. And it's part of the joy you get of walking with him. Do you have answered prayers? Many of us don't have answers to prayer because we don't talk to him. We don't bring him into things. Are you rich towards God? Because if you are rich towards God, you can have lots of stuff and it's fine. If you're rich towards God. Are you rich in time spent with him, thanking him, worshiping him, and meditating on his word? Show me a person who doesn't regularly pour out gratitude and worship to Jesus, and I'll show you a person who's not walking with him in a fresh way. Or you might be in the midst of, I, I don't want to put guilt on someone here who shouldn't have guilt. You might be in the midst of a real hard thing, and thankfulness is, thankfulness is hard right now because you're right in the middle of a dark place. I'm not talking about that. But you show me a person who just has a general rule in life, does not pour out thanksgiving and worship to Jesus. I'll show you a person who's not fresh in their walk with him. Because if you're fresh with him, he's just that good. Are you rich in faith stories? Can you show me things from this past year of things he's changed in your family, things he's changed in your life? Things you stepped out and you did and it worked and, oh, it was a miracle. And, and again, big, small, medium, whatever. See, it's so easy for us to slip into this Christian thing. This is what's so easy. We go to church, maybe even go to cell. You believe all the right stuff and then you're so busy with the things of life. You just think everything's good. You ask a few of these questions though, and you just poke beneath the surface and sometimes what felt good because it was just so busy and we just kept doing the right things actually turns out to be empty towards God. Do you have a fresh walk with Jesus? So storing up treasure in heaven means being rich towards God. It also means one more thing. It means being rich in good works. Tim 1 Timothy 6, Paul says this. Fantastic passage to meditate on this week. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works. And you can tell here that Paul is probably thinking about the Sermon on the Mount. To be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves, give a reference there to the Sermon on the Mount, as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul says, Jesus says, store up treasure in heaven. Paul says, here's one of the ways you do it. You must store up treasure in heaven, be rich in good works. See, you might be rich in stuff, and you're so busy that you never actually stop to think, am I rich in good works? Am I rich in good works? See, many of us, we just, we need a radically new mentality. We look at all the stuff we own. We're so busy doing stuff because our money gives us opportunities. My money gets me an opportunity to be involved in this and to do this and to do that and to go there. And we're so busy doing all the stuff that our money gives us opportunities to do that we never stop to think that the only thing that really matters is storing up treasure in heaven. And the way I do that is not by going everywhere and doing everything and being busy with everything, but by doing good works that advance the kingdom. We need a radically different mindset that stops looking at our money as a way to bless ourselves. The, the, the counterintuitive thing is every cent of my money that I spend on myself, I lose for eternity. Not that it's bad, but it just doesn't stay for eternity. And every cent I refuse to spend on myself, everything I say no to, and instead I use it to bless others, to advance the church, to advance Jesus' kingdom, 
I get, I get it back forever. Jim Elliott, my favorite quote all time, I think. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Is that not good? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Jim Elliott later gave his life for the gospel. He lived it out. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We need a radically new mindset. We have this mindset of all this stuff I earn is for me. And then out of my extra, I have a little bit of extra time when I'm not doing all this stuff that my money gives me opportunity to do. So out of that extra time, I'll serve a bit here, God, and I'll give a little bit extra here to God. And that is not how you store up the treasure in heaven. We need to flip that upside down, and it's, Lord, I want to store up treasure in heaven. I want to give to you, to your kingdom, of my resources and my time. Do you know what God is calling us to? Do you know what is needed in these last days? I mean, the job of church renewal is massive. What's needed in Uganda, what's needed in Cuba, what's needed for summer camp, hundreds of kids every summer to disciple them. The 1,100 kids we have here every sun, Sunday morning that we've got to minister to. The task ahead of us is massive. It's going to take massive amounts of resources. It's going to take massive amounts of service. It's going to take massive amounts of heart and love and blood and sweat and tears. And it's going to take a radically different mindset where we don't start with I'm so glad God has blessed me with all this stuff for me. To where I flip that upside down and I say, I don't want to get, I don't want to lose my treasure forever. I want to store up treasure in heaven and get rich, real rich. So I'm going to give till it hurts. I'm going to pass on to my kids a spiritual legacy showing them what it means to give and give and give and give until I don't always get everything I want. And I'm going to show my kids how to serve and serve and serve and serve and serve and serve until sometimes I don't get to do everything I want. And out of the extra I have, I'll spend that on myself, but I'll give first to God and to his kingdom. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I want you to bow your heads with me. And I've got a whole weekly challenge that you can work through in your devos during the week. It's too big to, to do in a message. But I want you just to close your eyes, and I want to ask the Lord, what's one thing? you want me to take out of this message today. You cannot serve both God and money. What is one thing? Lord, and he's not going to condemn you. He's not going to give you something hopeless. Some of you, he's going to encourage you. You need to accept that encouragement. Some of you, he's going to say, keep going. You're doing exactly what you need to be doing. Some of you, he's going to say, changes are needed. But he'll give you hope in that too. But I want you just to bow your head. I'm going to ask you just one question. We're just going to listen. And then I want you just to write down or put it on your phone or, or whatever. Just write down whatever he shows you. I want to ask the Lord this question. What is one thing you want me to take from this message today? Just write down whatever he shows you. What is one thing, Holy Spirit, you want me to take from this message today?
I'm going to get you to stand. The choir's coming in here. and We're going to sing a song of commitment and worship to Jesus now. But I want to pray a prayer for you and for myself. So I want you just to stand, and then we're going to move straight into the song. But I'm going to pray that Jesus is going to help us walk this path of wealth righteously. That he'll help us, that he'll teach us how to walk this path in a way that is devoted on him, that we don't get distracted by good from doing the best. Lord Jesus, someday we're going to stand before you and all the stuff we chased here on earth is going to look so small and so pathetic. We just can't see that right now sometimes. And we just get dragged into the fact that I have enough money to do this means I should do this and I should go there and I should have that and I should be. And we're busy, 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 busy. But it's not always with the best thing, Jesus. It's sometimes just with good things. As a church, Jesus, how in one message do we tackle this problem of wealth? It's not possible. But by your Holy Spirit, we want to be a people who are totally and completely devoted to you. Help us to walk the path of wealth in a way that is absolutely focused on you. One thing matters. Help us to live that out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at www.myselfland.com.